You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. We continue our examination of the final years of the Prophet's stay in Mecca before his migration to the city of Medina. The religion of Islam begins to spread to Medina in stages. First, you had two people who embraced the religion of Islam from the people of Yathrib or Medina. We briefly talked about them before, As'ad ibn Zurara and the Kawan. Basically, if you remember, they met the Prophet during the days when he was in the Sha'b of Abi Talib in that embargo. It was during the pilgrimage season when they meet him in Masjid al-Haram. And if you remember, the reason why these two people came from Medina is because the Aws and the Khazraj, they were fighting one another. So these two came to the Meccans to see if they can build an alliance with them to stop this war and achieve victory in Medina. So they were told that we're not interested in helping you because we have our own problems. And our biggest problem now is this man who's claiming to be a prophet and he's brought a new religion. Then they warned these two that you're going to see him in Masjid al-Haram. He has the power to induce magic on you. So make sure that you don't hear him. So what they do is they put cotton in their ears and they go and they circulate around the Kaaba and the Prophet was reciting verses from the Quran until you know one of them, As'ad ibn Zurara, he rebukes himself. He tells himself, you're an idiot. You're not even willing to listen to him. Come on, what's the harm? The people of Medina are going to ask you, at least know what he's saying. So if you're asked, you're not embarrassed and you tell them, oh, I was scared to listen to him. So he removes the cotton from his ears, he listens to the message of the Prophet and he accepts his message <laughs> and he becomes a Muslim. So these two were the first two from the people of Medina to embrace the religion of Islam. And he really becomes happy when he meets the Prophet. He tells the Prophet, we've heard so much about you from the Jewish people in Medina and finally we are meeting this final Prophet. So they go back to Medina and they inform their friends about the teachings of the Prophet. About five to eight people also embraced the religion of Islam. Now they did not go really public with this. They accepted the message of the Prophet, but they were not publicly declaring that they were Muslims yet. Then comes the events of the Aqaba. The events of the Aqaba are very important events that prepared for the migration of the Prophet ﷺ to the city of Medina. So in the 11th year after the Ba'tha, 11 years after the Prophet received revelation, during the pilgrimage season, when the Prophet was inviting various tribes to join the religion of Islam and asking them for support, he met several members of the Khazraj. They were six people and As'ad ibn Zurara was one of them. These six people who had come from Medina, they officially 
accept the religion of Islam and publicly they become Muslims. They tell the Prophet that we are Muslims, we are following your path. Then after that, they go back to the city of Medina and they now officially start to preach the message of Islam. Previously, they were those two were just telling the people of Medina, oh, we went to Mecca and we heard this Prophet and he had some interesting beliefs. But now, these six, when they come in the 11th year of the Ba'tha, they meet the Prophet during the pilgrimage season. They now officially become Muslims and they go back to Medina inviting people to support the Prophet and to become Muslims. So they go back to Medina, they inform their people of the Prophet. Then a year later, we're now in year 12 after the Ba'tha, the allegiance of the first Aqaba takes place. Now before we talk about the Aqaba and what it is, let's mention some very important points over here. Yes. The first two who converted to Islam were As'ad ibn Zurara. The second person was a man by the name of Dhakawan. The Prophet when he was in those three years of the Shab of Abi Talib, he was only allowed to go to Masjid al-Haram during the pilgrimage season, that's when they met him. And that's when they had initially put cotton in their ears, but then they finally heard the message of the Prophet. These two were the first to embrace Islam from the people of Medina. This was during the days of the Sha'b of Abi Talib. So maybe the year nine, for anywhere from eight to 10. And then in the 11th year, the six people come and officially embrace the religion of Islam. And they go back to Medina to preach the message of Islam. In year 12, they come, 12 people, we'll talk about that. And they make an allegiance with the Prophet. They pledge him allegiance. Now before we talk about the allegiance of the Aqaba, Bay'at al-Aqaba al-Ula, a few very important observations here. The first point, one reason why the people of Medina were more open to the message of the Prophet than other Arab tribes was because they constantly heard from the Jewish communities in Medina about this Prophet, about his qualities. This actually helped prepare them. And this is a very important point. When you're told about someone and their qualities and their virtues, you are more likely to accept their message. So the presence of the Jewish community in Medina actually facilitated the Islam of the Medinians. It prepared them to accept the message of the Prophet And by the way, we have hadiths that tell us that Imam al-Mahdi he will reappear when generally speaking the global community will yearn for his reappearance. They will hear about him, about his qualities, they will have hope in him. Hadiths indicate then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him permission to come. And that is why scholars tell us the more you inform people about the Savior, you give hope to people in the Savior, the more Allah will hasten the reappearance of the Savior because this makes the world more prepared for Him. If somebody comes out of the blue and you're, it's un, completely unexpected, you'll resist. But if you've been, you've been told repeatedly about the Savior, have hope in Him, He'll save us from this global state, He'll 
protect us from global oppression, global poverty, right? If people keep hearing that, they'll be more ready to accept him. And we have hadiths that indicate after that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him permission to reappear. So we actually have a role in hastening the reappearance of the imam. The more we talk about him, the more we spread his ideas of social justice and global justice, the more people will be ready. The more people are ready, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hasten his reappearance. So this is the first point. One reason why the people of Medina were more willing to embrace the Prophet was because they had heard about him a lot more than others. Through what? Through the people of the book, specifically through the Jewish people. That's one observation here. The second observation here, and this is an important factor, the people of Medina were tired of their constant warfare. The Khazraj tribe fighting the Aus tribe. They were in a miserable situation, constant battles. And the last of those battles was a battle called Ba'ath and the Aus gained victory in it. Now the warfare was so constant between them such that historians have noted they did not put their weapons down even at night. Even at night there would be constant fighting between them. So they were thirsty for a solution, a savior, someone who would just stop that warfare and get them out of this miserable uh, state. And this is why As'ad ibn Zurara, when he met the Prophet in Mecca, you know, he, he, was, he, was, he felt so miserable. The minute he met the Prophet and he heard his message of justice, he interacted with it. He told him, maybe God will save us through you. And that really prepared the people of Medina to accept the Prophet The third observation is, the people of Mecca specifically resisted the message of the Prophet because they found him a threat to their social, political, and economic system. Because they had a system built on oppression, injustice, arrogance, favoritism, superiority. And the Prophet brought a message of equality, a message that protects the right of the exploited ones, the rights of women, the rights of slaves, the rights of other races. They found that a threat. So they opposed him. Whereas the people of Medina, they found him a plus. In fact, he will benefit our society. What does this prove to us? This proves to us that oftentimes in history, it is the case that your personal interests will get in the way of submitting the truth. What's the difference between the people of Medina and Mecca? This was a primary difference. The Meccans saw the Prophet a threat to their system. He does not help their personal interests. Whereas the people of Medina did not see him as a threat. In fact, they saw hope in him. This led the Meccans to reject him. It led the people of Medina to accept him. And this is a lesson for us, brothers and sisters. Oftentimes in our lives, that's how Allah tests us. When it comes to the truth, to justice, I always have to ask myself, is the current stance that I have, is it driven by my personal desires and interests or is it really because it's the truth? People usually side with the truth only if it's compatible with their personal interests, selfish interests. If it's not compatible with their selfish interests, 
they're not willing to uphold the truth. Whether at the individual level, at the family level, at the business level, with the business partner, whatever it is. Usually our personal interests stop us from embracing the truth. And this is a very clear example. The people of Medina rejected the Prophet and all of his signs because of their selfish personal interests. And that's very important. You know, oftentimes we tend to think of ourselves, no, you know, I'm not like that. If I see the truth, I accept it. Generally, that's not the case. Allah will test you. So train yourself to accept the truth because it is the truth. Not because you find it compatible with your desires. Not because, you know, in your heart you feel uh, positively towards it. Not because your feelings are positive. We don't form our belief system based on feelings. If you ever find someone, even a Muslim, a Shia, who tells you, I feel Islam is right, and that's why I believe in it, that's wrong. That's wrong. This indicates a weak faith because feelings change. Today you feel Islam is right, tomorrow you're going to feel it's wrong. And the member, members of any other religion will tell you the same thing. Islam is not about a feeling that you have. Islam is based on logic. Logical, you accept it. Don't ever follow a path of justice, a path of truth, a belief system because it feels right. Because you'll get fooled. Your desires, manipulators, and especially the shaitan, they know how to create good feelings for you. Believe me, they do. I've even heard from people, you know, sometimes when you sin, by the way, you, you have that feeling of regret, remorse, that bad feeling. Sometimes you feel good about it. You know when that happens? By the way, that's a bad sign. If someone sins and after a while, they don't have that feeling of negativity, it's usually a, a very negative indication. It's a negative sign. And, you know, once a person from one community, you know, he, he, he was asking a, a scholar this question. He's like, I was committing this, this very big sin and initially I felt very bad about it. Then I did it a few times, I started feeling good about it. As, you know, it, it, it became normal, it became positive. So what is this? How do you explain this? In fact, we have hadiths that tell us when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to help you because you have the capacity to be helped, you deserve being helped, Allah creates that feeling of regret in you to help you find your way back. Eventually you'll stop. When Allah sees that you're so irresponsible, so negligent with His laws and you don't care and you don't have any sincere intention to be repentful, Allah takes that feeling away from you. So in fact, you start enjoying the sin. In fact, you start feeling positive about it. That's a punishment from God. Whenever you feel good about a sin, know that this is a punishment from God. And you have to drastically change, you know, the way you are responding to the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So never follow feelings. Islam and the religion of God is not about a feeling. Don't ever base a decision, especially in terms of belief, beliefs, you know, on a feeling. It has to be rational, it has to be 
you know, founded on logic, on the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not on simple feelings. Yes, but the reason why you're following it is because it's logical. And yes, maybe I get a feeling with it too. But I'm not following it because of a feeling only. Because oftentimes, if you look at the 7 billion people on earth, oftentimes they follow beliefs because of feelings. It's not based on true logic. Allah does give us feelings also to aid us, of course. So if you found the right path through logic and you get the feeling, that's fine. But remember, the main reason why you're following it is not because of the feeling. The feeling is secondary. The primary reason is the logic itself. And that's extremely important. So in any case, when these people met the Prophet ﷺ, these six people, they returned to Medina informing the people of the Prophet's message. The whole town of Yathrib, Medina was now talking about Muhammad ﷺ.